Well, you've reached Vernon First Baptist Church, and this is Pastor Randy Ham. Excited to continue this after Easter Sunday service. If you've been listening, you know that I fell a little bit behind in getting these posted, so sorry about that, but we're going to catch up this week and get you back on track so you can listen to these sermons if you'd like. We continue to welcome you into exploring how Jesus surprised his disciples and what he has for us through these stories that happen just after Easter. And at the end of this, if you want to stick around, there's a special treat. We had the handbell choir playing that Sunday. And so we have a portion on here for you at the end of the sermon. So enjoy that. Blessings. Thank you so much, Hannah. Well, we are in a series right now where we are talking about the stories from after Easter. So there's about, we're looking at six different stories, six stories after Easter, for we are in the after, after Easter season. There's 50 days of Easter, so Easter continues. So if you still have some of that chocolate, feel free to eat it. Uh, you know, chocolate bunny, I think we just finished one chocolate bunny this week, finally. Those things, the solid ones, they last a while. Uh, but so do the stories around Easter. And so we are going to look at another one of the stories of Easter. And uh, if you want to turn to your Bibles or on your app, and if you notice in our pews, we have had some new Bibles donated to us. Now up front here, I think we still have some of the old ones, but you can see the comparison. If you want to take a look, uh, there's the, the, our old Bibles were... They were regular print at one point, I think. But uh, now these new Bibles, we are turning to John 20 is where we're turning. And these new Bibles are a larger print. Some of you might be surprised when you look at it and say, that's larger print? <laughs> now, they have, now they have giant size print. So if this isn't large enough for you, you might want to order a giant size print Bible. But uh, we are going to read the passage from John 20. 19 to 29, and I've asked Roy and Vera to help me out a little bit. They are going to voice some of the characters in this scene. So hear the word of the Lord. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After and after he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. 
Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In the reading. The word of the Lord. Yes. What an amazing passage of scripture. Now, I want to talk a little bit here about illusions. Now, I've always loved them. Does anyone remember David Copperfield? Now, he's still around, so it's not necessarily just having to remember, but when he made the Statue of Liberty disappear, anybody remember that? Yeah. And it came back, I guess, because it's still there. We went and we checked it out. But I wondered, uh, recently, or more recently, there he is, he, he did an interview for GQ uh, describing what it was like having that happen. He did not tell us how we did it, though. He did say he's not sure if that silver metallic jacket of his would fit into GQ magazine or not ever, but uh, he never told us how we did it, unfortunately. But he was a master illusionist. When there's something like that, a Statue of Liberty disappearing, you know there's a trick somewhere, don't you? It says illusion. Illusion. And he knows that. He's not going to give away his answers, but... If you know what, how we did it, please come and tell me afterwards, because I'd love to know. Fascinated by that. Well, Jesus, in our story, in one sense, he's going to do a trick to his disciples. They are going to be just as confounded as the Statue of Liberty disappearing, maybe more so. For he died, and they watched him, some from a distance, scared, some closer up. They watched him die. They watched him be buried in a tomb. And with the doors locked as they gathered, Jesus appears. Now Jesus understands that this is hard to believe. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. So pray with me as we dive into this story. Creator God, we ask that you would guide our hearts for what you would have us wrestle with this morning as we look at this story, what you did then and what you are doing now. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, the reality is is that first they don't believe it because this is hard to believe. These disciples are wondering what is going on. They lived with him for three years. Remember that. And he's told them what to expect that something like this was going to happen. He's repeatedly told them, but they do not get it. It took them seeing him, watching him eat, and touching him for them to believe. Now Luke, over in the other gospel, the one right before this one, Luke fills us in. Luke was a doctor, 
very thoroughly researched the stories because he found out about this later in life. He didn't meet Jesus. And so he did a lot of research and stories and asking people. And he found out some missing pieces around this story. Like when uh, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you, Luke adds, that they were startled and frightened. Yeah, thinking they saw a ghost. Can you imagine that? If you watch any of those little the horror stories that uh, you sometimes watch as a kid and you regret doing that, you might imagine that, right? What would it be like for someone dead and gone to appear in front of you? Wow! Yeah, I would be a little startled and frightened too. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your minds? So if you are here and you struggle with believing in the truth of Jesus and his resurrection, the Easter story, that this historical man from the Middle East, that he turned history on its head 2,000 years ago by rising from the dead, if you struggle with that, you are in good company. These men that followed him lived with them. They struggled with it. And maybe it's not a struggle for you, but you're here and you know someone who struggles to accept this with doubts, maybe even sort of laughs at your faith and belief in this. They are also in good company. And it's good for us to remember that. It can be pretty easy for those of us who have grown comfortable with this story, with these truths, to feel like anyone who doesn't get it is strange. And maybe even tempted to put them down. But that's not what Jesus does here. If the disciples who saw Jesus lived with him found it hard to believe, how can we expect those who haven't seen him, who haven't met him, to believe so easily? In fact, there are many, and I know this even in our own families, there's many who thought they believed, and the construct of their belief feels like it's crumbling around them for a number of different reasons. And our temptation can be to judge them. But what does Jesus offer his disciples here? What can we learn from it? I want us to examine this just briefly. There's a few things that I think Jesus offers. Right? They were frightened and startled. And what does he offer them in the midst of their being frightened? Well, he enters, number one, he enters their reality. He's willing to meet them where they're at. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise. I can hear them say, well, you appeared out of nowhere, Jesus, and it freaked us out. That's why we're troubled. But he also is speaking to their deeper troubles, that he was going to be the Messiah, the king, the new king of Israel, drive out the Romans. And yet he went to a cross and died. That's so confusing for them. That's why they're troubled. He knew their fears. He recognized their fears, and he met them at right where they're at. And then after he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they really understood that it was the Lord. Why are you troubled? 
Jesus will meet you where you're at just as he met them. And then he's willing to address their real concerns. You're not sure I'm real? He lets them experience his body. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And it's interesting, because it says, uh, it says over in Luke again, and while they still did not believe it, so even then, they were wrestling with this because of their joy and amazement. Is this real? So he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. Is this an illusion? Is this just a trick? No, he's willing to, see, to let them see him in action, eating a fish. So if you are struggling with belief today, ask Jesus to show you. And if you know someone who is struggling, ask Jesus how to show them. Enter their reality. That's what Jesus does. Recognizes them for where they are at and then willing to address their real concerns. Not putting them down. But then he also, he also offers, well, there we go, he also offers peace. And how does he do this? There's a couple, a couple ways. Luke tells us that he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. It's the same word that we talked about last week on the road to Emmaus, when he opened the scriptures to the two on the road. This was right after, this is right after this story happens when those come back, the two from Emmaus, they come back and they're chatting with them, telling them what happens, and then Jesus appears in their midst. And so for all of them, he unpacks Scripture in a way that they can understand it, opening their minds, putting their, their thoughts. That as they wrestle with, who is Jesus supposed to be? Is the Messiah actually supposed to die and rise again? Does that measure up with what we thought? Not really. But it does measure up with Scripture. And he gives them peace by opening their minds to the reality of Scripture and what they were expecting. And he also... He also breathes on them. Now, I don't know about you, but depending who it is breathing on me, I don't know if I'd feel peaceful. So why would breathing on them give them uh, uh, some peace? Well, he says that he's offering the Holy Spirit to them. Breath and spirit are the same words in Hebrew. So when he breathes on them. He's offering God's very presence to go with them. That's the symbolism here. You felt like you were going to be on your own from now on. You felt like you're abandoned. Well, guess what? God's very presence is going with you. The Holy Spirit will be with you. And that's the symbolism. He tells them more about that Later, and we'll look at that. But along with that, he also gives them purpose. Not just a peace, but a purpose. 
Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That breathing on him, on them, that offering of the Spirit, their minds could also easily go back to the first creation, Adam, Adam and Eve, Adam in the garden with God breathing life into Adam. He's already told them at the Last Supper that this is a new covenant. This is something new that I'm doing. And here he breathes on them, empowering them for the job he has them to do. Just like that first Adam, his spirit empowering them. New creation. Now, I don't know if the disciples would have got that, if their minds would have put those pieces together. Maybe after Jesus told them, then maybe, because they were a little dense, like I can be sometimes. But that symbolism is there. And it would, the penny would have dropped at some point, I think. Especially as he said, wait here. Wait here until power comes from on high. That's what happened at Pentecost, when there was a true filling of God's empowering presence in their lives. So the reality is, is if we come across someone struggling with belief, the odds are they are looking at you to see if Jesus is real. We are his hands, his feet, his heart in this world. For how he sent out the disciples, he sends out those of us who follow him. And those who are struggling with belief, they want to see something real. They want to see something tangible. They want to see the presence of Jesus. And you might say, well, how much doubt are we allowed? How much doubt are we really allowed here? Well, Enter Thomas, this continuing story. I don't know where Thomas was. Uh, He wasn't with them when Jesus appeared. But I think this part with Thomas tells us that we need to stick with it. Even if we're doubting, stick with it. Figure it out. Either it's for yourself or with others. Maybe you have to stick with others in the midst of their doubt. How much doubt are you allowed? As much as it takes. Thomas said no. He was set. He said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then it says, a week later. A week later. Jesus didn't rush to fix Thomas's doubts. He was there. Says to them, oh, I will not believe unless, well, Jesus could have shown up right then, but he didn't. It's a week later. Jesus lets him sit with his doubts, sit with the wrestling. And when he did come to Thomas, he doesn't come scolding him. He is gentle and tender. And once he shows Thomas proof, he calls him to stop doubting and belief. There is a call 
from Jesus to believe. But it comes with a gentle and tender interaction. And then he says, all those who don't see and believe are blessed. Well, that's all of us, isn't it? Yet I think there is, there is proof that we can offer people who are struggling. It's not going to be Jesus' physical body. We can't put our hands in the nail marks. We can't put his, our hands in his side. But we are now the body of Christ. And we can interact with people. And they can see Jesus lived out his heart with compassion and tenderness and joy and true life. Now, Jesus always had harsh words, but they were for the religious often who made people struggle even more with their belief because of their rigidity. And he came to people who were struggling with the tenderness and compassion and an endurance through it. And I think we, we can offer that to people. We are the proof. If they truly see Jesus in us, may it be so. I came across a poem that I think really embodies this idea. As we, like the disciples, can sometimes wrestle with this truth. It's a poem by John Updike. Seven stanzas as Easter. A very original, very original title. Seven stanzas as Easter. I want to point out a couple things in here. Um... Let's see, Max Planck's Quanta. Anyone know about Max Planck's Quanta? No, me neither. So that comes in here briefly. Um, it's, uh, it's a physics thing, very uh, complex uh, truth that we, we all, if explained to us, if Max explained it to us, it would be like, oh, okay, that, yeah, that makes sense. That's a scientific truth that he figured out. So that's in there. And the other word is a remonstrance, a remonstrance. Um, remonstrance, uh, that's a, a protest, like, like Thomas was. He was remonstranting. I'm not going to believe unless I see. Right? Remonstrance. All right. I think that, that, preps, that preps us for this poem. So listen to this poem. And then I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up after I pray. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecule re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the eleven apostles. It was as his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor 
analogy, sidestepping transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel, weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen, spun on a definite loom. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest, awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. Let's pray together. Jesus, you know each of our hearts and how... How hard it is at times to believe the real truth of this. And you know those in our lives that struggle with this. And how when we don't struggle, we can, we can tend to not be so tender and compassionate. So Lord, I pray that you would show us with your heart in us, your breath, your spirit in us, how to live out this truth how to believe you, how to walk through that door, not to dumb it down, and yet to approach those who struggle with the tenderness you did and show them your truth, lived out your love, your light in this world. We pray this in your name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stay standing for a closing benediction and then to have a seat as we enjoy postlude from the handbell choir. So hear this as we go from this service that Psalm 149.4 says, The Lord takes pleasure in his people. Those he saves are his delight. He will hold me fast. So as you go from the service, no matter what your doubts are or those that you meet who struggle, go knowing that Jesus' arms, his heart, are big enough to hold you fast. Go in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please have a seat and enjoy the bells one last time. <clears throat>